This week we're on episode three of Potholes of Life, season three. So three, three. Episode three, season three of Potholes of Life. And I want to talk about today a pothole that we also all face. I mean, all of these in this whole entire series, and we've talked about, I want to say today's the 11th pothole, if you go through all the seasons of Potholes of Life that we've encountered or talked about. But today's one that we also always face, even though we might not want to acknowledge it, and it's the pothole of discontentment. Discontentment, being discontent. And what does the word discontentment mean? And don't tune me out yet, because we've almost shown you how we all do this. But discontentment is a lack of being satisfied. We're not satisfied with one's possessions. We're not satisfied with our status. We're not satisfied with our situation. Now, let me give you, bring you a point of clarification here. There's nothing inherently wrong with desiring a bigger house, a better car, a, a, a new outfit. or none, none of those things are wrong to desire these things and, and say, I, I want to increase and do better and do more. The question is, where's the heart posture? Because if your main goal or focus in life is the next big thing, it's never enough. My daughters, because they're their mother's daughters, love musicals. And one of their musicals they like is High School Musical. Y'all, you ever, anybody here watch High School Musical? All right, let's see. Who here has not seen High School Musical? Yeah, you, have, you only have boys. Yeah, get it. Um, so Sharpay is one of the characters in High School Musical, and she sings this song, I want it, want it all, the fame and the music and all, I want it all. And the perspective of wanting it all is that it's never enough. It's never, I can always get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. As a matter of fact, you know that the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that he whose main focus and love is money, even though they have a lot of wealth, it's never enough. The Bible says that. So I want to talk about this pothole of discontentment. And I want to go back to see the people, the children of Israel as our examples, as our catalysts for what not to do. So like the old Yellow Pages commercial, we're going to let our fingers do the walking, and we're going to go through about five references in Exodus and Numbers before we get into it, right? So the first one is Exodus chapter 15. Now, I'm going to give you, bring you up to speed with where we are here in Exodus 15. Children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were crying out to God because they were getting beat. They were oppressed. They were, they, were, they were abused. It was a bad situation. So they cry out to God. God sends Moses the 10 plagues against Pharaoh, right? Let my people go. Y'all seen prince of Egypt and all that stuff. Like, let my people go. And the children of Israel, with the mighty swooping hand of God, are set free from the bondage in Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, where we're going to start reading right now in Exodus 15, they have even already crossed the Red Sea. And they get there, and this is what they say. Verse 22, chapter 15. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And then they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah... They couldn't drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? God gives them, heals the land, heals the water. Then you get to chapter 16, verse 3. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. 
When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you've brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And we get to chapter 17. Here's another example. Verse number three. And the people thirsted for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I'm going to flip a few extra pages and we're going to go to Numbers now. Chapter 11, verse number 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumber, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Oh my. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Flip over to chapter 14, verse 2. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in Egypt! Or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. Can I tell you, freedom wasn't enough for the children of Israel. Manna wasn't enough for the children of Israel. The quail wasn't enough for the children of Israel. The promised land wasn't enough for the children of Israel. They wanted more. And the desire of more made them always be discontent with what they had. So I want to talk to you about a few things this morning that the pothole of discontentment brings to us. And the first one is this. Discontentment comes when we focus on what we lack. Discontentment comes when we focus on what we lack. In other words, when we focus on that which we do not have. And you go to the restaurant, your favorite restaurant. Sit down. You didn't even have to wait that day. They bring you the food, and all of a sudden you find out that one ingredient, one part, they were out of it. Everything was perfect, but one little thing, and you leave the restaurant saying, I'm never going back because they ran out of asparagus. I'm never going back because the tiramisu was bad. I'm never going back. Well, we focus on that that we were missing. Focus on the little thing that we were lacking. The children of Israel were focusing on everything that they did not have. Instead of focusing on the things that they did have. So discontentment is a pothole that strikes and hit us when we focus on what we don't have. Here's another thing. It comes and it hits us 
when our expectations do not align with reality. Said it this way, when our reality doesn't meet our expectations, we get discontent. Oh, but that's not the way I wanted it. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't want it at that time. I didn't want it like that. No, no, no. I planned everything to be like this. And because it's not like this, I'm not happy. I'm discontent. I've heard so many times, unfortunately, of people that have an unrealistic expectation of something. And because the expectation is unrealistic, when what they have in front of them is there, they can't enjoy it. They miss it. And it's truly never enough. We, we took the girls the other day. They were at a birthday party. And um, Abigail is tall. And because Abigail is tall, she wasn't able to participate in a certain thing of the birthday party. So I was like, Mama, I'm going to get you a, a play card. And so I got her a one-hour play card, unlimited play. And she could go do every single game and every single, everything, all the different stuff, right? You know what happened when the hour ended? Can you get me another hour? Can we? Do? And, and, and so, so I asked the question, if we get a second hour, at the end of the second hour, you know what's going to happen. Can I get a third? At the end of the third, you know what's going to happen. Can you get a four? Right? Like, it, it continues to build, and you get to the point where you ask the question, hey, when's enough enough? When is enough enough? It's something that is natural in us to not find contentment. It is something that doesn't come natural to anybody. It's why your children, when they were two years old and you took them to the park and you said it's time to leave the park, they cried and moaned and, no, this is the worst day ever, right? They got the gifts and it's like, that's not the doll I wanted. Oh, child, please. The lack of contentment. So discontentment, it comes when our realities don't meet our expectations. Discontentment will come when, when, when we're not able to, to focus on what's there. We focus on what we don't have. Can I tell you what discontentment will make you do? It'll make you glorify a bad past. I mean, look at the children of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt. Now they're free, and they said, oh, that we would be in Egypt around the cajachina and the pig, right? The pots of meat. Oh, that we would be in Egypt with the fish and the leeks and the garlic that we were freely given. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't free. Yeah, it wasn't free. You were slaves. They were glorifying their past because they couldn't focus on the blessings they had in front of us. How many times have we glorified a past that was not of God because we can't enjoy the present that we're in. Oh, I remember when I had this. Yup, and if you had died that day, you would have been in hell because you hadn't surrendered to Jesus yet. Is that the past you want to go to? Oh, I remember. You're in a new job. Oh, in my old job, we did it this way. And you left for a reason, didn't you? 
I don't know how many of you are, are like, you are our supervisor or something, and somebody's like, oh, but my other company, you know, we did it this way. And it's like, and so why aren't you there? Because they're not content. There's always going to be something better. And it's something that we've had to recognize and realize. If we're glorifying a bad past, can I tell you what it's going to also do? It's not going to let you enjoy the present that you're in. It's not going to let you enjoy the present. I wrote it down this way. Discontentment causes us to miss or enjoy what is right in front of us. Think about the children of Israel. The last passage I read in Numbers 14 is when they had sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. Go check out the land that God had promised. And the 12 people come back, and this is what they say. First things first, the grapes that they brought back, one thing of grapes was carried amongst two people. Like, tremenda uva, all right? Like, I mean, those are big grapes. It's got to be carried amongst one bushel of grapes by two people. 12 people come back, and they say, the land truly flows with milk and honey. The land is amazing. And 10 of them say, but there's giants there. We are but grasshoppers in front of them. And that's where then they get to the place and says, why did you bring us here only if we had died in Egypt or now look, not where I know, or in the wilderness? Now even Egypt wasn't the thing. Even the wilderness that they were complaining about, now that was better than the promised land. Why? Because there was going to be a battle to win it. So you know what discontentment makes you do? It makes you ask, why am I here, God? Why am I in this place? Why is it that I'm here? And when you're asking the question, why is this happening? Why am I here? What you're really doing is quenching your faith. Pastor, what do you mean you're quenching your faith? Well, the expression, God, why am I here, prevents you from saying, God, if you brought me here, you will see me through. See, the, the same God that brought them out of Egypt, that gave them water at Merah, that gave them manna, that gave them quail, that gave them again the water at the other place, that gave them everything they needed, had provided over and over again. But their lack of contentment, instead of getting to there, only Caleb and Jacob, right? I mean, Joshua, sorry. Caleb and Joshua were the ones that said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, God brought us here and he will deliver us in front of the giants. Do you know what that made Israel do that discontentment. The only ones that entered the promised land were Caleb and Joshua. Every other Israelite that had left Egypt died in the wilderness, never enjoyed the promised land. Their children got to, but they didn't because they weren't content. So let's, let's recap some of these things. Number one, discontentment comes from when we focus on what we lack, when our reality doesn't meet our expectations. It'll cause you to exalt and glorify a bad past. It'll make you ask, God, why did you bring me here? It'll cause us to miss and enjoy what is right in front of us. And here's this last one I want to talk about. Discontentment can lead us to sin. It'll lead us to sin. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, let's start in Genesis. 
Adam and Eve, you can eat everything, anything you want. Just don't touch that one tree. Oh, man, I can't have that tree. That one? Man, you're so mean, God. I'm going to have it anyways. It leads to rebellion. Rebellion is sin, right? What did they say in Numbers? Let us pick a leader to take us back to bondage in Egypt. They rebelled against God. Lack of contentment is what leads a husband to cheat on his wife or a wife to cheat on her husband, not satisfied with their marriage. It's what leads somebody to go into theft or steal from their company or steal from the IRS or to lie on different things because they're not satisfied. There's just never enough. It will lead us to sin if we don't walk in contentment. Pastor, that hurts. Yep, it was intended to because we need to stop living like the world because we are not of the world. So I ask you this question, how do we fight against discontentment? Well, number one, stop comparing yourself. Stop comparing yourself. That's the number one thing that we got to do here to fight discontentment. Stop comparing yourself. When you're comparing yourself, it leads us usually to covet, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet, nor your neighbor's wife, nor your neighbor's house, nor your neighbor's car, nor your neighbor's, you know, whatever. Stop comparing yourselves. If social media is causing you to compare yourself Oh, but fulanito's on vacation in such and such place. No, 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 no. Fulanito photoshopped their picture to a stock photo from Shutterstock to pretend they were on vacation. Or they used a picture from 12 years back, right? Have you ever... Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry. Do you know there is a... I I think I would have enjoyed this career. There is a career. I don't know what it's called. Ralphie, you're going to need to help me out. But there is somebody... There is is a career path that is the person that watches TV shows and movies when they're in like post-production to spot the things that are wrong. Like if the water wasn't filled to the right level or if the different stuff... So in one scene, the water's very little and like in the next sentence, it's full, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? There's somebody... What's that called? It's like a quality control, but I don't know what it's called. Regardless, I would have been very good at that. Patty and I, all the time, we're watching something. So, you know, like when, when, when you notice that somebody is flipping the image to make it look a certain way, and you can tell because you know that person is right-handed, but they're holding the pen with the left. See, we don't realize, we don't understand how many times the things that are put in front of us on social media aren't real. But it leads us to not be content with what we have. But so-and-so closed on a house? No, no, no. Rejoice in so-and-so closed in a house because mine is next. Oh, but so-and-so does it. Rejoice. Don't covet it. Don't desire it. Stop comparing yourself. It'll never be enough. In my notes, I wrote it this way. You're not of this world, so stop trying to be like the world and comparing yourself to the world. Because the world standard is not your standard. The world standard is not my standard. That's how we fight discontentment. One of the ways we fight discontentment is to stop comparing ourselves. Here's another one. To fight discontentment, you need to learn how to be content. See, a little while ago, I told you all of our kids, we had to teach them contentment, right? Can I, 
How many of you know that the Apostle Paul was an amazing man of God? Can, can we agree with that? I mean, God used him in a mighty way. Look what he wrote. Now, if I were to ask you right now, what does Philippians 4.13 say? How many of you can just quote it out, right? Philippians 4.13, I'm going to help you out. I... Okay? I'm going to say it one more time. I want everybody to say it together. It's a very famous verse. I, I, I mean, if you're online, type it into the comment box, all right? Ready? One, two, three. I remember in high school, I had it written down on the bill of my hat. I mean, I played right bench for three years, but I had it on my hat. I can do all things through Christ who sentenced me. You see all these players who put it on their eye black. I can do all things through Christ, right? Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. We quote it. There's a bad situation, right? We got a flat tire. We got to change the tire. I can do all things through Christ, Lucifer. <laughs> Man, we're misquoting the verse. What do you mean, pastor, we're misquoting the verse? Go with me to Philippians. Go to chapter 4. I'm going to start reading verse number 10. Philippians 4. Start reading verse number 10. It would be a good thing if I... I should see. I marked all the other ones. I should have that one marked too. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Look at what he says. I have learned to be content. As if it wasn't enough, then he breaks it down. Verse number 12, I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to have a whole bunch. I'm sorry, uh, uh, very little. And I know how to abound or be in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is that I can be content even when things in front of me aren't what I want. But that takes learning. We learn to be content. We learn how to be joyful in the midst of something difficult, right? We learn. People ask me sometimes, what's one of your favorite like childhood meals? One of my favorite childhood meals was white rice, black beans, and croqueta caserita. Remember, the, I don't even tell, know if that brand still exists. My mom would buy the box of egg croquetas, and she would fry them. We had tough moments. So white rice, black beans, and a croqueta, that's what it was. Can I tell you what, though? We loved it. We loved it as much as when they were steak, too. We learned how to be content because at the end of the day, there was food on the table. At Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, pastor in, in, in Oakland Bible Fellowship, I love Pastor Tony Evans. He's a great communicator of the Word of God, great teacher of the Word of God. He, he said this this way, contentment is when you can drive a brand new Mercedes or the old clunker that you used in college and say, it's okay, I have a ride. 
Contentment is being in a $500,000 house or a one-bedroom shack and say, it's okay, I've got a roof over my head. Contentment is being able to say, I'm wearing designer clothes or clothes from the thrift store, and it's okay because I don't have clothes on my back. Contentment is being okay and satisfied regardless of where you are. One more time, nothing wrong with having a bigger house. Nothing wrong with paying off your house. Nothing wrong with having a new car. Nothing wrong with these things. But if that's the goal and the focus, it'll never be enough. If the goal is that, it's never enough. The new house isn't enough. You move in and it's like, oh, I need to knock down the other wall. The new outfit isn't enough. Oh, but I wish I had it in pink and purple. The new car isn't enough. Oh, it doesn't have the new car smell anymore. It's just never enough. There's always something. We have to learn how to be content. Can I tell you one more? Fighting discontentment, you thank God for what you have. It's one of the ways you fight discontentment. Look at what Philippians 2.4 says. If you can throw it up for me. Philippians 2.4. Do all things without complaining and disputing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in everything. I read this story about a lady who hated folding laundry. Anybody here hate folding laundry? Okay. Anybody here like folding laundry? I, I, it, it's not an issue. I, I have no issue with folding laundry. As a matter of fact, I'm like systematic. Like my socks have to be folded a certain way. My shirts have to be folded a certain way. My undergarments have to be folded a certain way. I'll never forget our first week of marriage back in the house when I got home and, 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 and my lovely wife had done laundry and folded it and put it away. And I opened my drawer and I was like, but I don't fold my socks that way. Oh, man, I met la pata. <laughs> I stepped in it deep, all right? So I, 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 I've been doing my laundry since I was about 10 years old. I, I, you know, this is way... So this lady, she hated folding laundry. And to boot, she had a big family. Now, there's a difference between laundry for you, and there's a difference between laundry for you and your spouse, and there's a difference when you have one kid or two or three, and you know what I'm talking about, 17 bibs in one day, and, and all the different stuff, everything that goes with it. And so this lady had a lot of laundry. She said her perspectives changed when she heard somebody that said, as I fold the laundry of each of my family members, I thank God for them and pray for them. As I'm folding the things for my husband, I thank God for my husband and I pray over him. As I fold it for my son or as I fold it for my daughter, I thank God for them and I put it away. It changed my perspective. I no longer hate folding laundry. I thank God for the family I have and the fact that I get to do it. When you start thanking God for what you have, discontentment leaves thank him. Your boss is not a kind person. God, I thank you that I have employment. They didn't have your favorite cereal at Publix. 
God, I thank you that I was able to eat breakfast and buy another one. You know what I'm talking about, right? They didn't have that color shirt. God, I thank you that I had another one in the closet. When you start thanking God for what you do have, you start learning how to be content. And the last one is this. Worship team, you can start coming back to the altar. You fight contentment by refocusing on God. Refocusing on God. I started off by saying that discontentment will come when you focus on what you're missing rather than what you have. Can I tell you, when you refocus on God, contentment will come. So how do I learn to be content? Focus on God. Thank Him for what you have. Thank Him. Thank Him. That you had a bed to sleep in with air conditioner that worked. Oh, but you don't understand, Pastor. We've, my AC broke. I haven't had AC for three days. God, I thank you that in that massive thunderstorm last night when it was raining, I wasn't under, living under a tree. It was warm, but I was under a covered roof. God, I thank you that I woke up this morning. I thank you that my girls are healthy. I thank you for my wife who's always there even in my moments where I'm down to help me get back up. God, I thank you. Because when you start living a life of gratitude, thanking God, at that point you learn to be content. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. Run to right where you are, whether you're here, whether you're online, just close your eyes. And I want you actually to take the next few seconds. You know your walk. You know where you are right now. Perhaps you walked in this morning or tuned in online this morning and, and, and you're at this place. You were in a bad place. And hearing this message today, the Lord has brought conviction, not condemnation, conviction, and led you to say a point where you want to repent and say, God, I'm sorry for not being satisfied. Can we think of a minute... For a minute, let's think about when Jesus had the 5,000 people. And he looked at the disciples and said, give them something to eat. The disciples said, we don't have anything. There's a little boy over there. And if we steal his lunch, we'll have a couple of pieces of fish and bread. Jesus said, bring it. Jesus blessed it and gave thanks for the pieces of fish and the pieces of bread and then said now go share it and the thanksgiving brought the multiplication and listen to this guys it says that everybody ate and they were satisfied and at the end of being satisfied there was baskets of fragments of leftover fish and bread. There was more leftovers than what they started with. It all started with giving God thanks for the little they had and then being willing to be generous with it. And God brought the blessing. 
So perhaps today, this morning, the Lord's brought conviction and you need to take a moment as we begin to worship to get right with him, to repent for the areas in your life where you have allowed discontentment to reign and stop you from enjoying what you have in front of you. And tell him that, I'm sorry, God. And then begin to thank him for what you have. I challenge you, thank him for your husband. Husband, thank God for your wife. Single man or single woman, start thanking God for the spouse that's coming. Thank God for your children. Thank God for your grandchildren. Thank God for your car that every once in a while you might even need to give it a jump start. Just thank him for what you have. Knowing that he's going to turn it to something even better as you give it to him because it's always been his anyways. Come on church, worship him.